I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran, and this is Radio vs. the Martians. This month, Keanu Reeves. Cool breeze over the mountains. It does sound a bit like the tagline from a moisturizer commercial, but this phrase is the translation of Keanu Reeves' name in the Hawaiian language. Whether he's most well-known as Ted Theodore Logan in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, the hacker superhero Neo from the Matrix trilogy, or the bulletproof, jilted hitman John Wick, only time will tell. But time has told that Keanu is a mainstay of cinema, working diligently for the past 30-plus years across genres and geographies, continually reinventing himself. Our topic this month on Radio vs. the Martians is The Man, Keanu Reeves. Often ridiculed as the wooden-faced and one-note actor, Keanu is more likely to earn a Razzie Award than an Oscar. His films aren't necessarily cult movies, but he is a cult actor, growing a loyal fan base with understated and unorthodox performances in movies of all sizes and genres. But let's examine the trajectory of Keanu's rising stardom. Keanu Reeves came to show business in TV movies and commercials in his native Toronto. As a late teen, Reeves dropped out of school and moved to Los Angeles and began roles in small films. 1986's teen murder drama River's Edge and Marissa Silver's permanent record established him as a more than credible young actor. But it wasn't until his breakout role in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure did he gain pop culture immortality. Keanu's effortless surfer accent and aloof demeanor were the perfect complement for the time travel comedy, which was equal parts Back to the Future, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and Decline of Western Civilization Part 2. Ted Theodore Logan's goofball mannerisms and trademark whoa would stick with Keanu through his entire career. What followed were more guest-starring roles, a Bill and Ted sequel and animated series, playing opposite John Malkovich and Glenn Close in Dangerous Liaisons, and most critical to his evolution, his role as Special Agent Johnny Utah in 1991's Point Break. Audiences caught a glimpse of the action hero that would become Keanu's most bankable archetype. He would then pivot into My Own Private Idaho, Gus Van Sant's teen drama about homeless gigolos in the Northwest, then onto being terribly miscast in Bram Stoker's Dracula before 1994's mega-hit Speed. Reeves opted out of Speed 2 to pursue a panoply of smaller films, dramas, thrillers, and sci-fi films, with my choice for best movie of all time, Johnny Mnemonic. But it wasn't until 1999's Wachowski-helmed sci-fi kung fu cyber thriller The Matrix that Keanu's mythic status reached its highest pitch. The Matrix, the epitome of late 90s black leather trench coat cool, spawned a trilogy of movies, video games, action figures, and possibly a million undergrad philosophy majors. But more importantly, it was the kind of role perfectly suited to Keanu's interests and strengths. Keanu and Cass trained for months with legendary fight choreographer Yuan Wu-Ping to achieve the otherworldly wire-foo stunts that made The Matrix a legend of spectacle. Its hero's journey construct with a kind of blank slate protagonist was pure Keanu. He even got the chance to belt out a well-placed woe in this film. But Keanu would spend the next decade working continuously, but in mostly forgettable roles in middling movies. 
Standouts include the ill-adapted Constantine movie and 2006's A Scanner Darkly, the Philip K. Dick novella turned animated psychothriller. And just when you thought Keanu might be over the hill, 2014's John Wick arrived. That impressive throwback to 80s action flash with a deceptively simple but intriguing setting pulled Keanu back from nostalgia quicksand to become movie nerd centerfold. And like the titular hitman, Keanu proved that he too would not retire, would not fade away, but he would be back in the game, delivering chokeholds, groin punches, and headshots. And with that, let's get this panel episode of Radio Versions the Martians off to a rollicking start with Mr. Cool Breeze, Keanu Reeves. Joining us again is our friend Joe Preddy. You know him as co-host of the View from the Gutters podcast. Thanks for coming back, Joe. My pleasure. <laughs> and next up, our first-time panelist, filmmaker, radio DJ, tastemaker, and curator of Weird, my friend Brian Dijon-Filippo. How are you doing, Brian? I'm good. Thanks for having me. And lastly, but not leastly, Bill to my Ted, Morpheus to my Neo, <laughs> Morpheus to my Neo, Bodie to my Johnny Utah, <laughs> Mike Gillis. <laughs> oh, good to be here. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to start with you, Joe. Uh, thanks for coming back here. And I think uh, by comparison, the last panel we were on was pretty highbrow. It was like the Vertigo panel, right? Oh, yeah. Um, so we're really <laughs> far in the weeds now. But I want I want okay. to ask you I want to ask you what what's the enduring appeal of Keanu Reeves in his movies? You know I've spent a lot of time thinking about this. Um, I've spent a lot of time thinking about Keanu Reeves in general. This <laughs> 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 my childhood, right? Just a bedhood no, fantasies. It's, it's, I understand. Yeah, bad just seriously. I you know I think I think it's a mixture. I think the one thing you can say what you want about his acting skills, but I think that he always brings. He's very genuine. You know, mm-hmm. he never you never feel like he's phoning it in, even if he's not he's not Olivier. You know, he's not DiCaprio, but he always brings his A game. You always get, you know, you get the feeling that uh, Jonathan um, was it Harkness or Harker. 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 It is Harker, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Jonathan Harker got the same kind of effort that. John Wick got or that Neo got. Sure. And and I think that I, – I mean I think when you look at a, um, a profession that is filled with people that consistently give too much, <laughs> giving a little less is good, right? Sure. You know, I think – but I also think that Keanu Reeves exists in this space where he's good-looking but not overtly good-looking, not like insanely good-looking. He's charming but not, you know, like James Bond charming. He's like he could be any one of us. Hmm. And I think that he's got this kind of everyman quality. And I, th- I think that's really what he's got, though. He's good-looking, he's charming, and he's genuine. And I think that you can sell a lot of movie tickets with that. And he has. Uh, so that was good, Joe. Thanks. So, Brian, I'd like you to take it, to jump in here. I know you as a man of very eclectic tastes. And uh, looking through Keanu's filmography, I feel like he's made a lot of really bizarre choices for, for roles. And obviously he had his share of risky flops that he's been in. Um, I wanted to ask you: Is there? Do you think there's like a grand architecture at work with his choices, or is he just the kind of actor who star in basically anything? Well, I definitely. I don't think he's the type that would just star in anything. Which is, uh, I think he showed us very clearly with not doing, you know, the second Speed movie and going off to do Broadway or whatever or the theater thing that he did for Hamlet. Right. But um, I, I honestly, I don't understand part of it because. It seems to me like Keanu's like half just standard Hollywood actor. And then the other half is exactly what you guys are talking about. There's a sincerity to him and like a genuineness that he's not going to do something he doesn't want to do. So like whenever I hear that Keanu's in this new thing, like for instance, I totally missed Man of Tai Chi. I did not know that that had oh, come wow. out. Huh. But nothing 
nothing about that struck me as odd that he was in that role. You know, like I sort of everything that he's shown up in, in from like the lake house to Dracula to everything kind of fit. <laughs> sure, me. sure. Um, it, with the exception of when I was a young man and, you know, Keanu was going from Ted into Johnny Utah into, <laughs> you know, his action star role. Like I do recall, like I didn't remember that at first, but when you guys had sent me some of the prep work for this, I was going through it and I was like, wow, I actually I really didn't like Keanu for mm. part of my life. Mm. Like I despised those movies when they were coming out. Um, and, and in context, I was in the middle of like the most angsty, snobby part of my <laughs> young adult life. So. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I've always had respect for him. I've never not liked the man aside from that one short period. And it ended. Huh. It does seem kind of like when you're a movie fan, especially a movie buff of any kind, that maybe it's the pupil stage, but you do go through a douche phase. Oh, that yes. you do become too cool for school at some point and just go, oh, well, brr, 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 I'm just going to look down my nose at all of this stuff. And it's it's kind of amazing how you come out of that and a lot of the stuff that you look down your nose at, like the Fast and the Furious franchise was this for me for mm. a very long time. Mm. And you go, you know, that's actually a lot of fun. That's really cool. And there's all these interesting, unique things. And I think Keanu has that. And I think the thing that separates him from the literal thousands of people that go into Hollywood to try to become stars every year is that everyman quality, that part of him that doesn't feel put on. It doesn't feel like somebody who's desperate to create a persona that, if anything, it seems like he's terrified of creating something that could typecast him. Yeah, yeah. I think that I think what is it? I have notes here that said he said once that he had a nightmare that he was looking at his own tombstone and it said the guy who played Ted. Yeah. So he probably <laughs> it probably started with the idea that he'd be like, oh, this is this is as famous as I am I'm ever going to get, and from there he obviously moved on and d- did stuff that was really risky, like yeah. very risky. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the kind of motivation that can make somebody great. And I think that in the end, I think that Keanu Reeves is a guy who is largely been punished by an audience for being really good at the first thing that they recognized him from, which was Ted Theodore Logan. That he was so believable, uncannily believable, as this kind of doofus metalhead who would eventually go on to create this utopian future. (laughs) The idea of this kind of character has such a good heart to him. One, you love the character because there are a thousand movies about doofus stoner guys that go on adventures. But they don't have the heart that Keanu and uh, Alex Winter brought to those roles. I know, and I think that's a huge part of it. And I think that's a huge part of the staying power of that movie, especially if you look at what's going on right now and how people still embrace that be excellent to each other yeah. ideal, right? Like, there is, I, even now I go back and watch that movie and I feel like, you know, th- there were a thousand other movies like that, exactly. But this one, none of them had the heart or the sincerity that Bill and Ted do. Yeah. yeah. And they're I, not, I feel like there's this ideal in that movie where it's like, oh, the dumbass has to kind of like grow up and learn. And I'm like, there's no growing in that movie. <laughs> yeah. Like they, they, yeah, they get, defer everything. Right? Yeah, yeah. But then they get by by just kind of being these kind of like somewhat charming stoner idiots. Yeah, they're yeah. Just, they the, figure out how to do it their way. This is the first time that I'm making this connection, but it just made me uh, realize someone who was doing, going through a screenwriting class uh, this is a friend of a long time ago was saying that their professor told them that um, they never want to have the type of character who doesn't actively do things 
Um, when the plot just happens around them and not through a result of their actions or choices, it's not an interesting character. And the guy was saying, but that's Jeff Lebowski in The Big yes. Lebowski. That's the dude. <laughs> yes. And I'm thinking that that's also true of Bill and Ted. Yep. Is that yeah. Bill and Ted, basically things happen around them. The plot <laughs> happens to them and they sort of react. And it's like, right. well, we accidentally let Napoleon loose at a water park. <laughs> and I mean, it's, and, but there's this element of them that there is no malice in these characters. Yeah, that there isn't a thing where it feels like the movies it's laughing at them a little bit, but it's also laughing with them because there's a real affection that the script has for them. Yeah, that a lot of these movies forget to have. And I think there's an element of Keanu that shines through. There's this genuineness that it doesn't matter that he's kind of a loser in this thing. You believe that a utopia could spring from this guy because he is. There's a kindness to him. Yeah, because he's the kind of guy that wouldn't laugh at the kid in the wheelchair. He's the kind of guy that would like open the door for him. Right. Yeah, you know, right. I, and I think that's what's endearing about those. Well, the, the I, I had in my notes here, I wanted to ask about this, specifically Bill and Ted's, because it, it was clear that he did try to dis- distance himself from that, and he was obviously used this as a, as a launching off point instead of him ending up in that place. Um, is this, is the Bill and Ted a legacy that he shouldn't be ashamed of, that he should own it, do you think? Well, or- I, think I think he has, to some extent. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think if you look at what's happening in John Wick and John Wick 2, I think he has. I, I think that I understand why that would be a terrifying thought to a young actor because that's not who you want to be, you know. But I also think that, and I definitely, you know, it's clear that that's the motivation behind some of his choices that he's made. But yeah, I think he's embraced it. I don't think that there's, it's, it's weird when you hear him talk. Like he was on The Nerdist recently and he gave an interview and it's so weird to me how he's, basically one of his characters he's this very like low-key honest guy that's just like seems like you could go out and get a beer with him and he'd just have opinions about like shit he was into right Right. let's let's talk about oh go ahead go ahead i'm sorry uh do you think he came to that you know i i was thinking one thing i noticed when i was watching all these films like in in a row was that Keanu shows up. We talked about this earlier. Like Keanu plays Keanu playing roles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. And I am I I don't know the answer to this, but I don't know if I learned to love Keanu or if he had what I needed from the beginning. Huh. But it almost doesn't matter to me because I'm happy with what I have now. You know, like sure. It's I don't know if it took 20 years of cinema for it to get to the point <laughs> that I was like, that's exactly what I want right there. But. It I mean, you, okay you got to look at it this way, is that he's a guy who's spent 30 years working with directors like Francis Ford Coppola and Kenneth Branagh and Gus Van Sant, and he's worked uh, across actors like, you know, Al Pacino and Gene Hackman and Jack Nicholson. Like, how, like, he doesn't need, you don't need proof that he is, that he is sort of an A-class actor. He clearly mm-hmm. is an A-class actor, but I think... I think that the the metaphor that I sort of have, or the simile rather that I have for him, is that he is like a singer who can only sing in one octave. It's not like he he's not a virtuoso in that one octave. He just can't go higher and lower than that part. And so, with his inability to sort of attenuate his voice in the way that we think actors should should do, it's off putting to us, and it gives us a sense of well, he's just not as good. I think he's also- like Axl Rose. <laughs> oh, snap. <laughs> I, I would actually choose Keanu Reeves 10 times out of 10 over Axl Rose. I'm just going to say that right now. I think that Keanu is a guy who's probably very aware of the box that everyone else, especially casting directors, probably put him in, what his persona is. And then he's desperate to try to break from that, that it would be very easy for him to have fallen into a Polly Shore career. 
Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah. That he could have been that oh, yeah. guy, and he's played Ted technically more than once. I mean, if you've seen the movie Parenthood, the thing was a Ron Howard mm-hmm. comedy yeah. drama. He's great in that. Oh, it's, and it's a great movie, yeah. He's like a lot of the same kind of elements of this genuine kind of doofy, but just like lovable guy. That that he's like the, the daughter's boyfriend, and you think at first, oh, God, what a nightmare. But you're like, no, this guy is like a great guy. And, yeah. and you see him in that, and you see that this the person who would become sort of his mother-in-law just goes, you see how she would learn to love him, that he's just this decent, honest, just genuine guy, that there's an authenticity that kind of shines through from Keanu. And he could have been that forever. There's plenty of roles. Oh, my God. They would have lined up to give him that forever. But then he says, no, no, I'm going to be in my own private Idaho. No, I'm going to be yeah. in Speed. Mm-hmm. No, I'm going to be in Dangerous Liaisons. Right, and I'm right. going to be, what was it? What was the, the Shakespeare movie that he did? Much Ado About Nothing. Oh, yeah. No, I thought he was great in that. I thought, I thought he was really good in that. Because, and I think, this is the thing. He tries, I think he tries a, a, a very wide variety of roles, but... I don't ever think – the thing that gets me is people will be like, well, he's very one note. And I'm like, well, you know, so is Samuel L. Jackson and people love him. Right. I, I, yeah, I could say that there's a list of actors that are one note and that are no – I mean Christopher Walken. How much, yeah. how much love is heaped on Christopher Walken? He cannot be anything other than Christopher Walken in his movies. Tommy Lee Jones. That's people want Al fucking Pacino. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love yeah. Al Pacino. He's a great actor. But he doesn't really move that far from where he's – he found the thing that made him successful and made him beloved, and he just does it over and over and over again. Yeah. Uh, John Goodman plays the same role over and over now. Yeah, yeah, John and it's Goodman. like, and these are actors that I love. I love these yeah, actors. I don't. But I, it's like if Samuel L. Jackson doesn't give an angry, impassioned speech in a movie, I feel disappointed. Like <laughs> part of the Sam Jackson experience was lost. Yeah. Uh, well, and I think you know, there's. I think there's a certain kind when we were talking about this snobbery, right? And it's like, yeah, we can talk about Daniel Day-Lewis and how he made people call him Mr. Lincoln. <laughs> and that, that definitely shows in his performance, right? Like you buy everything he's selling, and that's great. But, you know, Jared Leto uses method too, and I'm sorry. I don't fucking – like, yeah. I could give yeah. a shit. Like it didn't make him a better joker. No. That's for goddamn sure. Yeah, what good came I out of him? used to yeah. watch that. that. You made the right choice. Yes, yes, yes. It, it just occurred to me when you were talking before because, I mean, we're circling around the, the, the word – Ernest. Ernest. Because it's per- this is perhaps the, the reason why Keanu is so likable and why you can forgive his sort of trespasses. Um, I was just thinking Ernest, Christopher Reeves, Keanu Reeves, Keanu Reeves Superman. Think about it. It could happen. Let it explode in your brain a little bit. No way. He's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> There's a curse associated with that role. and We don't want that on Keanu. Yeah. Yeah. That's Although, true. I mean... Well, yeah, I mean, uh, if, wait, does that mean if Nick Cage... It's like weird, because I mean, a lot <laughs> Nicolas Cage, we probably were saved from that. I think Dean Cain probably came out of it better, where he just became an asshole. <laughs> that was know, the... Dean Cain didn't show up in a film, though, did he? No, no, he has That's been... where the curse is. Yeah. Well, wait, but was... George Reeves. He was in a couple Superman movies. They made, yeah, they made, yeah, that's true. That's true. So Keanu's done a couple Superman-esque kind of things. I think Keanu would have been a really good Dr. Manhattan for a Watchman. Oh, I I could see that. I could see that. I think he would have been totally game for something like that. It's that kind of crazy, mind-bending, sort of detached thing that I think he could have done. I think he would have been great for a role like that. But again, uh, the fact that we talk about his, his failures, like, for instance, his accent work in Bram Stoker's Dracula, sure. is, is laughably bad. He's badly cast there. But that comes about because he tries. 
Yeah. You don't. He experiments more than most actors you know, do. You say you you could say that about uh, Harker, Jonathan Harker, being a pretty weak character. Um, and he's a pretty underwritten character too for that movie. Mm-hmm. However, that movie is amazing. I went oh, back God and watched damn, it again. Yes, it is. And I and I was like, I was like, oh well, this is the age before CG CG effects. And for basically a special effect horror movie, um, it is ridiculously it, le- it leaves impressions on you that you do not forget. Visually, it's oh, pretty yeah. fantastic. It's pretty astounding visually. I think that the thing with it that really jumped out at me was the sets, the the crazy ideas. It felt like the best parts of Tim Burton coming through France. Francis Ford Coppola, yeah, yeah. which yeah. I I didn't expect um, because so yeah the the thing with this movie is that it has that kind of weird Tim Burton quality where it's just like weird costumes weird ideas cr- there's a lot of creativity in it and Keanu feels like the, the least memorable part of it I mean I think this is probably his ultimate misstep in terms of movies that he's been in where either they could have just made his character an American. Which, you know, you could do. Does Jonathan Harker really have to be British? No. And then I think the accent kind of came out. And I also think it's Keanu's accent, which has always been this millstone that he's been dragging around on chains. It came out a lot more. His battle with the British accent was unleashing parts of his surfer accent that he usually keeps at bay. Well, Hmm. and I mean, are we going to say, this is something that I often think about, was his accent any better or worse than Kevin Costner being Robin Hood. Oh, my God. Because oh. he doesn't even, like, you get the sense in that movie, he's not even trying. <laughs> yeah, he's just an American Robin Hood. Yeah, yeah, he's just like, I'm Kevin Costner. Remember me? Uh, a bunch <laughs> of movies they, that you love. I think yeah. I have a story about that, that he had tried doing it with an accent, and they had to just can it. It was so <laughs> bad. Yeah, it was so bad that they were like, don't worry about it anymore. But it happened with another film. I can't think of it right now. It'll probably pop into my head later. But oh, I want to. Yeah. I want to take a, a, a. I want to do a little bit of a mea culpa for our listeners. So somebody who might have listened uh, to one of our point five episodes maybe last year, where I was, I brought up Keanu Reeves. What, what was essentially like the uh, the origin for me wanting to do this as a panel discussion um, is that I made the claim that Keanu was the anti Tom Cruise, and I think I was too stoned at the time to actually fully articulate what it is that I, that I meant by this. I like it. So uh, here's my, here was my argument. I think that, they're, that these two are both highly sought after lead actors, usually in action movies, who pick their projects very well. They both age gracefully. They obviously are can, and have a lot of longevity in terms of them being able to play characters that are in their 30s or something, even though they're in their 50s. Um, they could be accused of being typecast at this point, both of them. Um, and they will both endure grueling training to get into shape for a movie, to, to do a movie, essentially. But the difference to me falls in that Keanu will direct an action movie because he loves, he loves kung fu movies so much. He wants to work with Yuan Wu-Ping and do his own movie, um, although he may be way out of his depth. Um, Keanu will produce a, mo- produce a movie and star in a movie about the documentary that transitioned from film to digital because he loves movies so much that he wants to explore this. Um, Keanu Reeves will defer $100 million of his back end for the Matrix trilogy so he can make sure that the movies get made, get finished the way that they, they want to be finished. And, you know, he'll take a $1 million pay cut so Al Pacino will be in Devil's Advocate. He'll take a 90% pay cut so Gene Hackman will be in The Replacements. He will go out of his way to make sure that the movie goes the way that the filmmakers want them to. Now, juxtapose this with Tom Cruise, who's someone who, with the last Mission Impossible movie, uh, Rogue Nation, 
there's the scene that was in the trailer where he basically is trying to get on this airplane, this DC-10 or whatever, and he tries to get on the side and he's trying to get in the door and the plane's taking off. And he's and it's like Ethan Hunt going, whoa, yelling at Simon Pegg to let him on. He was actually hanging out off the side of an airplane. And it was a stunt that was so so dangerous that the two insurance companies, the largest insurance companies that were insuring the production, backed out. Because they were like, no, we don't want to be responsible if Tom Cruise dies. Um, so Tom Cruise... Purely by his own narcissism of, oh, no, I want to do this, even though it could easily have been done on, on a green screen on a stage somewhere, um, put out millions of his own dollars for collateral to find a foreign insurance company who would bank them, putting the entire movie in jeopardy, putting his life in jeopardy, putting the livelihoods of everyone who works on it because he wants to do some fucking stunt. Um, and to me, like that – that as well as the sort of this tabloid bait shit that is surrounding his life and the Scientology distracts from his ability to just do good movies. And my and th- th- there could be an, a, couldn't be a starker difference between them. And mine is, is that Keanu Reeves is the Ralph Nader of action movie actors. <laughs> he will devote himself to the movie. He will personal life will not be a distraction. He just wants to do what he loves doing. And Cruz, however, just wants to prove that he's an invincible like Superman magician and that he's trying to prove a point with his movies. Hey, let's not forget, too, what Keanu actually went through personally right before the Matrix movies started filming. Oh, yeah. His, his like, daughter died and his girlfriend died within like yeah, nine months of each other. His girl gave had a stillborn baby, and then she died shortly thereafter in an automobile accident. And that man still was able to like pull it together for the performance of a lifetime. Like The Matrix is a perfect movie. Like, yeah. No, I agree. An excellent yeah. film. Well, and uh, he didn't. He did all those the insane lobby scene with like a broken neck. Oh yeah, he like, broke. He his, was he, physically he, in yeah, pain, yeah. also. So. Oh, man, that man I read is... so much on some of those facts for you guys. <laughs> it's that insane. Is... Do you like... know why his neck was all messed up? No. So you guys know about Keanu and his motorcycle company, yeah. now, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Keanu loves motorcycles. He's been riding them his whole life. And according to a quote I found, he is not very good at it. His <laughs> neck had, those, had to be fused together because of injuries sustained from crashing his bike over that's, and over again. Okay, that's what Damn. I thought, yeah. He was actually becoming slowly paralyzed from it. Oh, jeez. That is the reason that you see the stiffness in him. Like, you know, the, the Ted turn, the huh? That yeah. is a stiffness of his neck that he can't actually whip his neck around. That's crazy when you consider... From for, what I've read on the internet. Sure, sure. But, I mean, it's crazy that... You, and, and I think he talked about, like, the, he showed, like, the scars that he had from motorcycle accidents and stuff. But it's crazy when you think that, oh, he's a guy who just decides, I'm going to start training for three months for John Wick. Like... Eight hours a day working out, training, doing stunt training. Someone who easily could just like phone it in with some uh, Vicodin and uh, some quick cuts and some CGI. Oh yeah, or a stunt double. Yeah. yeah, for sure. That a lot of this stuff he could he could do, but again, there's that element where he wants it to look real. Like I, everyone knows, I'm a huge fan of the Rockford Files. The thing that makes that show look great is the fact that James Garner does his own driving, and you, the the element of somebody not in front of the rear projection screen doing driving scenes increases the, the the value of what you're looking at so much more because you know it doesn't matter how advanced cgi gets you know if keanu is really running up that wall with cables tied onto him or not yeah. you know that he's really not doing elaborate fight choreography if it's these constant quick cuts and you see the back of his head more often than not 
you know when when somebody is really doing this stuff, and he puts in the work to do that stuff. Yeah, it's not like um, what is it in Taken Three? There's a scene where Liam Neeson is climbing <laughs> yes. a fence, and it's literally, literally. 14 quick cuts because okay. there's no fucking, he's like, no, he's not getting over like, that fence. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like, but yeah. that woman, Halle Berry basketball. Scene. Oh my oh, God. God. <laughs> um, and, and the, one of the things I love about John wick, which I also consider to be a perfect movie is there's none of that. It feels very real, which I has, I think has a lot to do with the director, who's a stuntman turned director. Yeah, yeah. So well, it like, feels like a ballet to me, John it, Wick. It, it absolutely does. I, I was watching The Winter Soldier the other day, and I realized that the same things I love about The Winter Soldier are the same things I love about John Wick, which that it feels like anatomic blonde, actually. Hmm. It feels like the fight choreography wasn't an afterthought. It was the, yeah, basis. the technical details, even down to like putting a new magazine into the gun. Yeah. Counting the bullets and stuff like there's such a flow and the pacing is so perfect in those movies. That yeah. It's it's a ride. You're on a roller coaster. And a lot of people point. would not be willing to do the stuff Keanu does in those. I'd heard a story. I forget what podcast they were talking on, but somebody who was working on a Steven Seagal movie that they had blocked out and got all the stuff ready for this fight scene he was going to have. Steven Seagal gets there and he wants this. Oh, can I just do the fight from this chair? <laughs> you lazy motherfucker. Well, and it's like, yeah. so now I have to undo all of that where Keanu is a guy who's like, yeah, I'll learn how to drive to do this. Yeah, I'll learn how to do fight choreography so you can tell it's really me mm-hmm. doing the things on screen as John Wick or as Neo. Yeah, and it, it comes across. It comes across absolutely in his performance. I mean, that was the thing. I know that one of the movies that, or one of the TV shows that I watched over the past year uh, was Iron Fist. And I was also watching Iron Fist in the midst of watching a lot of actual kung fu movies. And when you're watching something where somebody's doing actual fight choreography, like you're watching Donnie Yen do amazing things, and they hold on that long shot from a distance to show off what a person is doing with their body and the work that they put into it and the timing and the skill that they're doing. Like that, again, like you said, Brian, that it's like a ballet, that somebody put the work in. And then you watch something where somebody probably only had about a month of training, and they're not somebody who put in the work to be able to do this skill and we're covering it up with stunt doubles 90% of the time, with quick cuts and close-ups 90% of the time, the immersion factor for something just totally changes. That There's never a part where I'm watching John Wick where I'm not sucked into it because I know Keanu is doing all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And even what you were saying with the Kung Fu, like Casey, I know both you and I read this book for film school. I mean, In the Blink of an Eye, Mm -hmm. uh, Walter Murch or whatever his name. Mm I can't remember the rules for cutting, but I can honestly tell you, if you have a man literally flipping through the air, you don't cut during that. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Like you show that you show off what you are doing. And I 100 percent agree with everything that you're saying. And and certainly uh, listeners, our listeners know that we will talk endlessly about how awesome John Wick is. But I kind of wanted to bring it out to sort of a meta level um, because I. to, right now, we we know that they want they're going to make a third movie, and also we've heard that I don't know who the studio is that distributing it, but they want to make a John Wick universe, oh. which is which is, is very problematic because this is how you drain the life out of something and make it not interesting anymore. So my question to the group really is: is do you think John Wick will be like the Matrix before that? In the in when all is said and done, it would be better left as just one film. 
Well, so I'm gonna I'm gonna spoil John Wick two for everybody. So no. stop listening if you don't want it spoiled. If you haven't seen it, and also oh. shame on you because that movie is amazing. <laughs> um, I figured they would do a trilogy. People really like trilogies. I think that movie would have. Been, I think that you could have. I really think John Wick should have ended with him putting a bullet in his own head. I think that would have been really poetic. And I also think it would have made a statement about... I think those movies make a statement about action movies. And I think that that would have been a really great way to end it. Because... Or if... um, What's-his-face from the Continental? If Lance Riddick had basically... If he had gone back home at the end of that movie and Lance Riddick had been just... You just kind of see the gun into the frame. You hear it fire. And then you see him kind of put it up and walk away. I think that I, I find myself wondering all right well how much did you stretch it with two mm-hmm. and how much more are you going to have to stretch that universe for three because I really feel like maybe you're going to start getting into the area of like there's not that much there well that well th- therein lies the problem with the the Matrix movies I thought is that they easily could have ended it at the first Matrix movie. And I think that while there's some parts that are just technically, I went and rewatched Reloaded again, which I think I've seen, I don't know how many times I've seen that movie a lot. Like the Burly Brawl, the one with the Neo versus a mm-hmm. thousand or a hundred uh, Smiths is awesome. Like it's, oh, yeah. um, it's amazing before and after I have not seen anything like that before. However, I don't give a shit about what's happening in Zion or I don't give a shit about like, Oh my God, they're drilling. So they're going to destroy. I don't care. I don't care. I was really concerned whether or not they were going to finish their rave party properly. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. I love Reloaded. And I love I love the last Revolutions and and Reloaded. I love that trilogy. Yeah, and I got super into it when I was younger. Um, but the the rave scene was really <laughs> really. Yeah. Weird. I'm like, okay, so like. What? They're Do you coming the editing for us. Too with like the nuclear power station attack. Yeah. Like something just fell apart for me <laughs> in that film. I don't know what happened. I, but, yeah. I, I think it's there. Yeah. I definitely think maybe some of those scenes are a little too overwrought and maybe cuz they overthought them a little bit too much, but I still I still love them. I love what they talk about. Okay. I, I think uh, the idea of a John Wick universe, the the fact that they want to do that means that they don't understand what's great about John Wick. The thing that makes John Wick great is it has this elaborate universe that it only shows you the relevant parts of. That John Wick is a guy who has a connection to this past and this world. That it's like the wizard world of Harry Potter, but with like assassins and killers. Mm-hmm. That they have their own currency and they have their own hotels and they have a lot of these very specific rules. And you know that they're there. You know that people like Lance Riddick and people like Ian McShane are there as part of this world, and they have these roles and jobs within that world. But they only show you the bits that are important, and they allow things to be mysterious. Mm-hmm. That John Wick is a guy who got away from this life because he did an impossible thing. And the worst thing they could ever do to that trilogy is reveal what that thing is. Mm-hmm. And what I love is that Throughout the first and second movie, they give you pieces, but they never sit down with a book or have like some elaborate flashback to like Venice 1423 <laughs> and the foundation of all these people. You never have, they mention like a big table and that, but they never tell you what that stuff is because all the characters know the rules. You just need well, they to certainly don't show you the big table with people's faces in half silhouette and going like, we have to do something about this, John well, Wick. With I a guarantee- loom printing out the future. <laughs> yes. Yeah, right? And I guarantee you that's what we're going to get. 
I, I was pleasantly surprised by two because I had braced myself for it to be not good, and I really enjoyed it. But I really feel that's where we're heading with with three. Mm. But and this is the problem, right? It's like since when do movie executives understand what makes movies good? Like never, no, never. I mean, that's it's like it's it's very similar to I feel like. Um, Skyfall, when Sam Mendes comes in and he's like, look at the graves. James Bond is one man. And I'm like, fuck you, Sam Mendes. All right. This character has been around for 50 years. You don't get to make that distinction just because sure. you have an Oscar. Sure. All right. Nobody cares. And in 20 years, when they make Bond 38, <laughs> people are just going to be like, yeah. I mean, somebody's going to come along and be like, no, I really like the James Bond is a number, not a name thing. Or just a name that goes with a number thing because Britain needs a James Bond, right? Well, I That's, think the the thing with James Bond, they they dance around it a little bit too. The problem of getting this character, same with John Wick, is I don't want backstory for James Bond. I don't want to know about his childhood. Yeah. I don't want to know about how he was raised. I you give very little, and then build around it because what I want to watch is I want to watch this person being this person. It's just like give me a simple plot point that sets him off. That this is a guy who doesn't want to be this thing, but the world just won't let him quit. Yeah. That's the simple premise. And then the whole question with the puppy. The puppy is sort of the heart of that first movie. Yes. That you just have to have this one thing that is so fucking terrible that it would make this guy who did an impossible thing to get out of this world go back into it. There's a really good um, YouTube series, Movies with Mikey, hmm. where he breaks down John Wick and uh, it's... I, I really I really like it. I recommend it if you are a fan of John Wick. I think he makes some really good points. Um, and he talks about how it's basically like it's it's basically the the person who killed well, like what do you do with the person that actually killed the boogeyman and like when they come for basically the gods of Olympus, right? Like this is an unstoppable force. And that's where that movie really shines is that at no point does John Wick feel like anything else. He feels unstoppable. Mm, yeah. He's walking through that club. And it, there's not there's none of this like late 80s, early 90s in the club. People just getting blown away left and right. There's always some like gratuitous shot of a woman running away, being <laughs> riddled with bullets. There's none of that in John Wick, right? Every bullet he fires finds the person that he was aiming at. Yeah. Like, and I think that in two, when you it's like, okay, you want to explore a little bit of that world. That's, that's fine. As long as... And the understanding is that we John Wick is great because of the fact that they were just hinting at these things. Right? Yeah. Like, we yeah. don't want the world. The world is not the interesting part. He needs to be a legend and a boogeyman to us, too. And yes. if you explain yeah. too much of everything, rather than giving you little hints, then you break it. The, the fun is... The things that you don't know about that you can't explain, but you know that they're amazing. Showing them will only make them disappointing. Yeah, no. Exactly. There's, there's no way you're ever going to be able to show me the scariest thing that I could ever imagine. But the scariest thing I can ever imagine, I can come up with that just fine on my own. Like, I just need the pieces there. And I agree. What you're saying about John Wick is they do a very good job early on of setting up, like, he's from this world. And you are filling in the blanks of what the boogeyman is. Like, who is the boogeyman to the you know to like a russian mob like it's a bad bad person right and it's that suspension of disbelief you know the hollywood movies now just kind of obliterate that they explain it mm -hmm. to you they show it to you without allowing you to discover it for yourself well yeah i, I want to peel this one back because obviously we could go on for another hour uh, uh with john wick but uh because he's known for a lot of other things he's known most recently for john wick but he's known for a lot of other things and there was a point in time when 
uh, he made a transition from being the sort of goofball comedy actor or this sort of like teen drama actor to being uh, an action star. And the first place this happened was, of course, Point Break, Catherine Bigelow's Point Break, starring across uh, Patrick Swayze. Um, and, I, you know, Johnny Utah, I think, is, I think on its face is actually kind of more absurd than Ted Theodore Logan actually is. But I just, <laughs> I just love the, I love the meta level inversion that he did with his character. Like Keanu, in this one, Keanu is the straight laced corporate type who works his way up to becoming a beach bum. <laughs> I, just love, I, just, I just love that part of it. I'm just going to say, though, if you're watching a movie and you need to send a police officer into a group of, of bank robbing surfers, and you need that uh, that cover to be believable. Keanu is your guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I, I, I would. Oh, go ahead, Brian. I was just going to say, uh, what, one of the themes that I saw was uh, coming out of the '80s into the '90s. Hollywood was in love with the smell of its own shit. Like, <laughs> they had just come off like Suburbia, Valley Girl, and all that stuff. I mean, look at uh, River's Edge in there. Like, it's yep. California culture, bro. Yep. yep. And, you know, it just, they were just shoving that down everyone's throat and like point break right there. For me, it's like, it's kind of like um, they'd finally perfected it into this like perfect condensed California gold right there. And it's absurd, but. I love it. The, yeah, there's no, there's no, uh, there's, there's no shortage. We always talk about New York likes to suck its own dick, but um, LA likes to film itself sucking its own so, dick. Yeah. Uh, yes. I, my, my question to you is, is: Has history been kind to Point Break? Even you know, now that Patrick Swayze's gone, now that Keanu is sort of he's sort of multiplied himself across lots of successful franchises, how, how does it look in retrospect? I like it still. I mean, I think there's a lot of flaws. Speed is a superior movie as far as a Keanu vehicle. He does a lot of the same things in Speed that he does. They both take place in L.A. He does a lot of his own stunts and does some cool stuff in both of them. But I think that there's elements of of Point Break that are a little up their own ass that you don't (laughs) get in Speed. I mean... Do you mean the Bodhisattva? Yeah, Bodhi nah. is Bodhi is not as smart as he thinks he is, <laughs> and, and the movie really needs you to be as won over by Bodhi and his lifestyle and his philosophy of being this like super Zen criminal who's like extreme sports and you know <laughs> like you know it's like there's little moments where it almost works like the bit where Keanu kind of mocks him for that. He's like, "Whoa, are we gonna do like a drum circle or something next?" And he's like, "We just might." And there's like a really believable. He's just kind of laughs at this guy, and he can laugh at himself. And you're like, "I could see this guy, you, you know, being this guy's friend." And I think in a lot of ways, since um, the movie, the original Fast and the Furious, is a pretty much page for page ripoff of Point Break. Right. Okay. I think he does a better job. Um, in that that role, Patrick Swayze, than than Vin Diesel did in that. I think Vin hmm. Diesel became that guy later, but I think that there's something about those two leads that works. I like any movie that has a lot of uh, Gary Busey yelling at people, <laughs> which is pretty great. And again, Keanu is like kind of the perfect guy because he has to kind of thread the needle. That you have a lot of these big personalities. And he has to be a little bit of a blank slate. He has to be yeah. sort of this regular guy, this archetype that everyone can sort of project themselves on in his situation. Of course, he's better looking than you are, <laughs> and he's a way way cooler action star than you are. But I think that, you know, so many times when we talk about Keanu Reeves, people have this assumption about him. There's this There's tone in their voice. And it's almost like he doesn't deserve to be in the movies that he's in. Like, huh. people people say, like, oh, well, The Matrix is great, but they act as if it's despite Keanu rather than because of Keanu. 
Like the things that make that move, oh, that's just the writing or oh, that's just the direction or oh, that's all the other people around him as if Keanu has nothing to do with it. I, I really believe that Keanu Reeves is the most underrated, un, underappreciated actor in Hollywood. And that every so often people see it and they get it, but it only, like, they see John Wick and they go, oh my God, he's incredible in this. Or they see The Matrix and go, oh my God, he was incredible in that. He was incredible in well, Point Break. He's incredible in Speed. But it only exists in their short-term memory, and then they go back to like snorting at the idea of him being in something. Well, you gotta you, like look at the uh, the the, diff- the like the vast swath of time between Matrix and John Wick. So I guess you could say that the, sort of the big like peaks of his sort of career with the valleys in between, there was like ten years dis- di- difference where Keanu was making a movie every year, if not maybe two in a year, every single year. People didn't go see those movies. People didn't, you know, people didn't know he was actually still making movies. I mean, I, I think that uh, Scanner Darkly is probably one of the most amazing, surreal movies of the, the, the 2000s that they, that's made. And that's a, there's a real drought of quality of movies in the 2000s. Oh, yeah. And it's actually really good for the fact that Keanu is, again, in a movie where he's starring against people who are incredibly fun and charismatic. Woody Harrelson and Robert Downey Jr. are not people that turn in bad performances, yeah. <laughs> that don't create fun characters, that aren't engaging, that you want to just see them talk forever. And he is still the lead character in that movie. And it never feels like anyone's going to steal it away from him. No. And Keanu's always been really good at blending in films, too. It seems like when, when you put him up against the right cast, it seems to reflect on everything kind of around him. He's very good at sort of not having to speak in those roles, but just being there. Yeah, I mean, I if you... Oh, I'm sorry. Go he ahead. is Bowie. No, no, I was done. <laughs> well, and I think I think the interesting thing to me is like if you look at him in like my own private Idaho, mm-hmm. I think he gives a remarkably like subtle performance yeah. in that movie. I guess we actually should talk about the non-action movie stuff because there is a huge amount of things that he's trying to do outside of the big ticket action movies we know him for. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a reason if you look back on directors. I mean, he's worked with some incredible auteurs. You know, it's like this is not. This is this is not coincidence. I think he, you know, I think he can bring a certain level, as long as you respect what that level is. Like, right? As long as you let him sing in his octave, he can he can go for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, it's not, there's not it's not like the casting directors were pulling a fast one over on these directors and right. being like, oh, we're getting Keanu Reeves in here. Ha ha ha! Isn't funny how he can't act? No, they clearly see that same thing that we we're talking about in him to be able to do it. I mean. Uh, I mean, I don't know if if you guys watched uh, River's Edge or Permanent Record, and those are sort of two super early roles that you know uh, uh, that were just about him sort of playing this bad boy teen archetype. But they have, but they had two sort of different, two uh, sort of emotional flows to them. Uh, River's Edge is about a group of kids who witness a murder and they try to cover it up for several days because they're they just don't they they're they're completely listless. They're, There's a disaffectedness to yeah. them. Yeah, um, and then River's Edge is about a suicide. Basically, is about a, the friend of a best friend of suicide, and Keanu Reeves is the one who's left over trying to uh. piece together why it ended up happening. And in both of those. In both of those situations, like, he does things in there that, yeah, he kind of seems like a stone dumb kid, but he does things in there that are truly impressive, that truly well, that, shine. That's the thing with River's Edge is that he's the anchor of that movie emotionally, that, that almost any other person in that movie, like Crispin Glover is bouncing off the walls in River's <laughs> Edge. I don't believe that Crispin Glover would ever play. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> Did you guys watch the interview between uh, him and the director of that movie, Crispin Glover, and uh, what's his name, Tim whatever? No, Hawker. 
No. Oh my God! There's fear in that director's voice. Chris Van Glover is a guy that you don't really always know if he knows he's acting. Well, it's, it's um, there was that story about him because he was in American Gods. He plays Mister World mm-hmm. in American Gods, mm-hmm. and awesome how they reached. Uh, yeah, he's amazing. Yep. and they reached out to him. Uh, Brian Fuller reached out to him, and they're like, he showed up on like a bicycle or something and he was dressed like I can't remember the way he was described but Brian Fuller was just like yes this is the person we need because he came dressed like a character yeah I've got all sorts of weird Christmas Glover stories like I actually went to the theater and saw um, what was the movie called uh, what is it the first movie made with all the special people in the snails um, oh god what is it what you guys don't know what I'm talking about no Oh, dear God, everybody on this podcast, go look at the movies that Crispin Glover has directed. Oh, oh right. God. The first one he directed. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Yeah, uh, so it was written was. by one of the guys in the movie. But anyway, I went to go see it. And the only way you can see this film is Crispin Glover himself shows up with the film in the <laughs> security case and stuff. And he gets up and he reads from a book first. So he read from this book called The Rat Catcher that he had spliced together with a bunch of stuff about catching rats, which was cool and interesting. And then you get to watch this movie. So after the movie was done, I bought his book and I was leaving. And he's in the middle of it, like autographing everybody's stuff. And he just stops and he turns to me and he goes, do you not want an autograph? <laughs> I was like in the middle of the Egyptian, like up on Hollywood. You know? like, I was like, everybody turns and looks at me. And I was like, no, I'm good. But uh, thanks. And he goes, Okay, and then just goes back. I was like, God damn it, that guy is so weird. He's marked you. You've been marked by Crispin Glover. When he spoke to me, like I felt it inside my body. I bet you he thought about that experience longer than you did. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, these are the sort of characters that that Keanu has to bounce off of in movies, and how does it that he manages to still basically keep himself the lead? That if he was such a nobody and he was such a wooden person, how is it that he still manages to compete when he's in this on the same screen with a lot of these people. Well, and I think it says a lot about him that you can. I mean, we we could probably sit here all day and quote famous movie lines, right? Like this courtroom, you're out of order. This whole courtroom's out of order. Attica, right? Like, right. well, you know, the, all of our favorite actors have probably at least one or two lines that we remember. But I think it speaks volumes that when like. Um, Edgar Wright was making Hot Fuzz, he mentions, like, two very specific things in that movie, and one of them is from Point Break. Right, yeah, right. Right, like, uh, <laughs> I, I think that, whoa, right? That whoa. is that is Keanu. That isn't one of his fucking characters. That is him. And that has entered our, pub- our consciousness. Like, that is a part of it. And I think... Going back to John Wick, one of the really cool things is that he doesn't say it in that movie. Everybody else does. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, woe is the the uh, should be the audience's reaction to his movies. Right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I is this is a thought I want to sort of throw out there, guys? Is the fact that his his body of work is so varied is that the reason that these these peaks that you talked about, Casey, come so infrequently? Because in that time that he's not having a peak, he's still making movies. And yeah, I think he's. I think he's trying. I think he's throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. And the, one really example is. is that the span of one year, the year 1991, he was starred in three separate movies. They were My Own Private Idaho, Point Break, and Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Yeah, that's the <laughs> level of variety we're talking about right. here. Right. And I mean, the thing is, he does experiment far beyond what other people do. And he's not doing the Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sam Jackson, Tommy Lee Jones thing where 
he has that one thing that he hits you with over and over again. And it's like, you know, again, like we, we're, we're, we have an Arnold Schwarzenegger podcast. <laughs> one of the questions we always ask at the end of that podcast is, is this a good Arnold Schwarzenegger movie? Because there is this very specific experience mm-hmm. that people want to get out of Arnold to the point that it's transcended the movies themselves and it's sort of kind of become him. Keanu doesn't have that. There is no Keanu Reeves movie because the, the yeah. tropes of Keanu, aside from the word woe, it's really so spread out among so many different things that I don't know. But then he doesn't have that same reputation that like a, an actor like Gary Oldman does. Because Gary Oldman does a weirdly diverse number of things. But he gets, a, he gets the reputation of being this great actor. Mm-hmm. And he deserves that reputation. Right. But, but Keanu, maybe it's... I don't know what it is. What is it that stops him from getting that respect? I honestly think it's public perception. I, I really do. I think it's the same thing. It's the same kind of thinking that's like, oh, comic books, they're for kids. It's why every six months you can go to a website and see a headline that is not entirely dissimilar to Biff Bam Pow, comics aren't just for kids anymore. You see them less now, but still, I think it's just cool to rip on Keanu. Like, I think it's less cool now, but I think... Well, I, I also think that maybe there's an element, too, that he doesn't have any... He doesn't participate sort of in the... Um, the tabloid bait stuff. He's a he's a guy who doesn't who doesn't live that way, and so he doesn't leave impressions outside of his roles in movies. He doesn't leave impressions other than the ones you've made in the really big movies. Yeah, and he you doesn't know? participate in the whole Hollywood blowing itself thing right. too. He's right. very. He seems like he, from that. he seems like he likes the movie part of movies, not the lifestyle that comes from being in movies. Oh right? no, yeah, I, and, I mean, I thought he responded really well to the whole sad Keanu thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yep, yep, yep. So I want to. We're going to get close to uh, getting to the last part of it, but I, I had I wanted to definitely mention side by side. So I think I brought this up once earlier. So I think it was three, four, four years ago. Um, he produced, he didn't direct, but he produced and narrated and starred in a documentary called Side by Side. It's about the transition of film to digital. And if certainly it makes sense that it was around this time when he's, he's starting to think about directing and starting to do his own uh, Man of Tai Chi. But the movie is where he's talking with directors, you know, from Martin Scorsese to, uh, you know, like the, a gamut of directors Um who are talking about, are we losing anything about, about this medium? He loves this medium so much that he wants to spark the conversation that we're having about, well, where is it moving? Where is it moving towards? And, of course, part of this is probably related to his experience on The Matrix because The Matrix did something about moving what could be done with film into another level, and he was sort of part of that part of that uh, that sort of process. Um to me, this shows a love that he has of the idea of the enduring medium that rarely there are very many there are not too many actors who have the same who are projecting the same thing so i didn 't get to watch side by side oh, it's okay because <laughs> the last few months of my life have been very tumultuous. I changed jobs, my brother got married, there was a bunch going on well, so. thanks for making some time watching Keanu movies though because well, you clearly I, did I, no I did yes, and I <laughs> got to make room for what 's important yeah so basically <laughs> there was just I knew there was I was like God, i watch I need to watch that, and then things just kept happening because that's sure. you know the nature of things but sure. i remember i i've one of the things that he talked about in like his Nerdist interview and a few others is um, is the documentary. And you really get the sense that his love of movies is not – it's not like an ironic love of movies. It's very genuine and it comes from a place that understands how 
I think America is this really interesting place because when you look at when you look at film in other countries and the film tradition of other countries, it comes out of you know propaganda and things of that nature, service to the state. And then I think you have, you know, I think uh, uh, Western Europe and America have this really interesting tradition of film where it's like it's a way to showcase the foibles of our culture without confronting people about them. Hmm. And I think that um, it, it, has lent, it has lent itself over the past, you know, hundred years to be to some really interesting things and thoughts. And I love that. I love that Keanu is so involved in at least the movies of his generation and, and that he, I feel like, the multiple roles he takes comes from that love. He wants to be involved. Right. It's not about a paycheck for him. It's not about a headline for him. It's about doing what he loves and being a part of what he loves. Yeah, and I guess uh, and I, like, other thing I want to hit Brian up for a little bit on this. Part of the one main thrust of this is thinking about, well, when you move the medium to something that's not film, because film is inherently a very expensive proposition when you're trying to make a story on and hugely film. fragile. Yeah, exactly right. Um, you open up the number of people that can actually uh, that can actually make movies, um, and this is po- quite possibly the single greatest thing that could happen to movies if your definition of what movies are aren't as narrow as just it needs to be filmed on celluloid. Yeah, it's funny too because a lot of people, um, you know, they have this reaction with music too. Um, you know, we got a lot of synthesizers now. Anybody can record stuff, and people are saying. You know, the recordings suck. It's not like, you know, the 70s. You don't got these Jimmy Pages running around like. But the fact of the matter is it changed for the better and and things did get better. Like for me, when I was watching Side by Side, it sort of reinforced to me that it's never been about the final product because the final product doesn't really exist. It's more about the the um, like that weird moment where you get your story to the audience. Like, uh, it's, it's hard for me to explain because I've been working in the internet and I wouldn't have been able to do what I did for the last 10 years if it weren't for the fact that the average person could start making things. Mm -hmm. You know, um, we all got into this industry during a really weird time. You know, like you were talking about the sound of, I still, like when I was watching that documentary and they were rolling the film, like my first instinctual reaction was anxiety about money flying out of my pocket. When you hear the sound of a film rolling. Absolutely. Yes. Yep. I know the sound of, sp- yep. of film spaghettiing too, and that sounds even worse. <laughs> so, you know, and it's like, I, it, it's just really strange to me. Like, it, it's like punk rock in a way. It's, people, it's not dead. It's not dead. Film's not dead either, but who gives a fuck? You know, it's hmm. not, it's, nothing is sacred. Hmm. Nothing is sacred at all. Look at the movie Celebration that is discussed. Oh, yeah, yeah. In there, you yeah. know, um, that was knocking down walls. And then look at the way Danny Boyle responded to it. Look at what Marty Scorsese was saying in there, like talking about CGI and wondering if he doesn't know if the young generation is buying what he is selling anymore. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. Like I'm encountering these things, too. Like I, I've cut the cord. Like I have completely immersed myself in you know, entertainment that's kind of lowbrow at times, but some of it's better, you know? It's, it's to me, the act of the entertainment, it, it's just got to be entertaining, and then I'm cool with it. Hmm. You know, like, it's, it's like a level of escapism for me now. You know, 
I could blab on and on. Let's refocus. <laughs> Somebody else yeah. jump in. Yeah, the, the thing that I, I get with all of this, the fact that Keanu would make this movie, especially because I've, this is not the first documentary that he's had this role in. Uh, one of them that I didn't realize I was watching a Keanu movie while I was watching is I saw a documentary on, on Netflix called The Last Samurai um, about Toshiro Mifune. Mm-hmm. And he narrates it. And I'm like, wait a minute, is this? It is. And it's like, you know that there are things that Keanu does isn't about money. It isn't about narcissism. Uh, it seems to be about a genuine love that he has the freedom to do what he wants. So he does what he wants. That, like, Man of Tai Chi is probably the best example I can have of what somebody with total freedom would do. They don't make a, a picture that is designed to be a vanity piece. A lot of people would. I think Tom Cruise would have. If Tom yeah. Cruise had that kind of money, which is why his, in, his, in his movies lately, I guess lately, but I mean like the last 20 years, they don't highlight anything interesting or, or vulnerable about him. It's about like, showcasing how great Tom Cruise is. I'm going to do this thing, and you're going to think that I'm amazing. Man of Tai Chi is a movie that he made just so that he would let people know how awesome his friend Tiger Chen is. Yep, yep. That his friend who did a lot of the fight choreography on The Matrix and did all the fight choreography for Kill Bill, a guy who is his personal trainer with martial arts, a guy that he thinks is amazing, and he's like, I'm going to show everyone how cool that guy is. It's not going to be me hanging off the plane. I want everyone to see how awesome this guy is. And he puts himself in a role in the movie as the villain, as basically just the reason to get people in the theater. He's, it's the same thing that he did with uh, 47 Ronin, right? Where, um, unfortunately, a failure of a movie, I would say. But he was in there purely because, he, you know, if you have a cast that's 96% Japanese actors, you got to have a Keanu Reeves to get people in the seats. But the thing is, too, you know? not only does he share that screen time with them, again, he's doing his own choreography. I think that in a lot of ways, 47 Ronin is it's a failure, but it's a spectacular failure. Sure. And it's an admirable failure. That it, there's a lot in that movie that I think is cool. It touches on a lot of the things that I really like. I love a quest to regain your honor. Like, yeah. holy shit, I kind of love that sort of stuff. Um, it, there's a lot of things I like. Plus, you get to see Keanu Reeves fight with a katana. <laughs> and he clearly, again, put the work in. That a lot of times yeah. you'd get the same sort of thing you got with Christopher Lee. And I'll give him an excuse because he was like 90 when this happened. In the Star Wars prequels, when Christopher Lee's in a lightsaber fight... You see stuntman, 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 then close-up of him waving a light stick. <laughs> stuntman, stuntman, stuntman. But you don't get that with Keanu. Yeah. Um, Keanu does the stuff and focuses on the stuff that he loves and right. has a passion for. That He made himself the villain of Man of Tai Chi. He didn't make himself the hero. He's kind of this Shang Tsung slash like, Emperor Palpatine type in that movie who's just trying to like, corrupt the hero. Yeah, the only way I could, I could uh, describe this to people who haven't seen it is basically if you took... Truman Show with Bloodsport. Yeah. Right? Because he's trying to, he's putting this guy's life on pay-per-view, basically, because he wants to turn him evil so he can go fight in, fight in a karate tournament, a worldwide karate tournament. What did you guys tournament. think of the ending? Uh, well, you <laughs> had, it had to end that way, didn't it? Yeah, it yeah. pretty much did. Yeah. But I just, I, there's a lot of things I just I love about it, because again, he made a movie, he, did, he knew he was making a movie that a lot of people wouldn't see, because they were going to watch a movie that was like 50% Cantonese. Right. And that they weren't really interested in watching a movie that was almost all foreign language. But he's like, fuck no, I love this kind of cinema. I want to emulate this kind of cinema. I'm not going to be staffing this movie with American actors because it makes no sense. Well, and there, there it is again, right? It's that, it's that sincerity, that genuineness. 
where I think that continues to come through. And I I really appreciate about him because I think you could have really you could have really pushed Man of Tai Chi as this kind of big blockbuster kung fu movie, and then sold it as like, ah, yeah, Keanu Reeves returns to what he's doing in the Matrix, right. except he's not in leather this time. But he didn't. Right. No. He kept it the way he wanted to, and he made a movie that was relatively small and was kind of in and out. I, I think it was in and out of theaters or it had a limited release. It, I can't and remember. It, it had a national release, but I don't know how big it was. It um, was a legitimate genre flick. Oh, sure. And there, know, there are probably um, a lot of true movie. Yeah. There are probably a lot of Kung Fu tropes that I didn't, I don't understand because I don't watch enough of them, but I mean, it, it was, it, it was a balls out Kung Fu movie for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, my last question here before we get to is, uh, I want to know from everyone about the future. I mean, I want to know, has Keanu Reeves' brand peaked with John Wick, or has he shown previously that he's just been able to reinvent himself endlessly no matter what the character or the story is? I think he's... Chris has not he's... seen his final form. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. This isn't even his final form. <laughs> I think I think he has at least two of those, those the height of that wave coming. I think he's cresting a wave right now. John Wick has gotten him so much goodwill right now. Mm-hmm. And I think the third one is probably going to be way better than a third movie in a series has any right to be. Yeah. Um, I think they can stick the landing. I am more confident in John Wick 3 because of John Wick 2 that they managed to do the thing the first one did, which is that they captured that kind of kinetic, crazy energy. There's this sense of, oh, my God, I can't believe an actor is really doing this, that Keanu just goes in these movies. The fight between him and Common and, like, Rome is amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it feels good. like you feel every step they're falling down. And there's the, the elements of genuine creativity that isn't just repeating the first. They could have done a hangover, too. It's like, we're going to do the same thing, but in a foreign country, and it's bigger. They're going to kill his parrot this time. And they don't. I mean, it's, they, they basically have a continuation that also does the thing where it refuses to give too much of the world and the character away. It retains that mystery. And if they can do that one more time, it'll be incredible. And you know what? He's going to do a non-action movie that's going to be incredible sure. after that, that we're not going to see because it's not going to be on our radar, but we're going to see it on Netflix later and go, holy crap, I should have paid money for this. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, that's what John Wick was for me. I didn't see it in the theater and I remember reading about it and going, this is going to be, this has the potential to be really good. And then watching it and then watching it again the very next day because a friend of mine hadn't seen it. And I was like, you need to see this fucking movie. And I, you know, the big question was, will John Wick be the first time he has starred in a sequel that is any good? Yeah. Because, and I was like, oh, I like, I like the Matrix Reloaded, <laughs> but I understand well, I'm in the minority. Yeah, I was going to say Bill and Ted's bogus Bogus yeah. journey. Yeah. 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 What are you talking about? No, and I love, I love that too. But, you know, people, it's like, a, it, people love to hate, right? Sure. It's, yeah, yeah. it's, it's a thing where, uh, this wasn't, I talk about this being a comic book geek, right? It's like, just because this other thing is amazing, and this this thing that we're talking about maybe wasn't as good does not remove all merit from it. Yeah, true, true. But um, I think John Wick was definitely the best sequel he was in. Like I hmm. think it was good, and I I will watch uh, I will watch Ian McShane do anything. Seriously, <laughs> yes, that sir. man is oh, like agreed. fair enough, fair enough. All right, we're gonna come back shortly with high point, low point. Hey. 
Hey, I'm Casey Doran, and this is... Mike Gillis. <laughs> and uh... We just wanted to take a break here and tell you about something special. We started our very own Patreon page. And Mike, tell our folks about what our Patreon page means to us. Well, one of the things that Casey and I have always wanted to do is to be able to do this professionally. We know that's a way off, but we would love to be able to do this. And this stuff actually does cost money. It, we've been yeah, actually, I mean, we've got to pay the piper. we got to pay the piper somehow. <laughs> and by that, we mean our coke habit. Right. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> really, what we're coming down to is uh, we have made it possible that if you like the stuff that we do, that you can go to patreon.com forward slash. Do we it's still for, say? It's forward slash. Do we just say slash now? No, we say forward slash. Okay, so patreon.com <laughs> forward slash radio versus the Martians, or you can go on to radio versus the and uh, click on the big green button either on the right or bottom side of the screen. Mm-hmm. And join in. Let us know that you like what we do and you want more of it. And here's the kicker. Here's the thing. Oh, yes. We, as exclusive to subscribers on Patreon, will provide what we call Radio vs. the Martians Black Ops episodes. These are occasional extra fun size ones that if you give us like a dollar or more a month, you will have access to all sorts of things that are off the fucking books. It, this isn't fun size episodes. They're ec- ecstatic size. They're like euphoria size episodes. This is like when you go yeah. trick or treating and you get a full sized candy bar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so this is going to be us just bullshitting with all your favorite co-hosts, having fun with pop culture and the stuff you come to expect from us, but in an exclusive off the books form. And if you get caught with this, we will disavow you. <laughs> Thank you so much, and uh, visit our page on Patreon and RadioVersusTheMartians.com. And we're back with this Radio Versus the Martians panel episode. Our topic is Keanu Reeves, and we're transitioning into the little thing we call High Point, Low Point, where we go to the top of the mountain, the bottom of the barrel. I'm going to start with you, Mike. What's your low point for Keanu? I've probably primed the pump on this one a little bit, but... The low point has got to be the reaction you get sometimes when you drop Keanu Reeves's name. No. And it's like, it's like this derisive snort. It's like a laugh. It's an <laughs> eye roll. It's a, it's a smile. It's a smile that comes up. And you know what? I've been guilty of this fucking smile before. That I'm like, it's like you're talking to someone. You're like, you get back from the theater. You're like, holy shit. I just saw this movie, John Wick, and it's fucking incredible they're like what john wick i haven't heard of this movie it's like well it's this keanu reeves and as soon as you say that word comes out of your mouth this little the corners of their mouth curl up a little bit kind of like oh i thought i was gonna it's like you're like fuck you no no this movie's incredible and it's just fucking maddening this you get this reaction every time it's so universal and it seems to be unstoppable because we talked about the peaks and the valleys, but you'd think there'd been enough of those peaks by now that we could have gotten over this reaction. It's like, this is a man who, no matter what he does, is stuck in the shadow of Ted Theodore Logan. Mm-hmm. That it doesn't matter how hard he fights. It doesn't matter that Matthew McConaughey and Sean Penn also got their start playing loser stoner guys in movies. They get respect as actors. People are like, oh, oh, there you go. You know, there's like, what's the the name of his? Spicoli. They don't say, oh, it's Spicoli again. And he's like in a a drama. You're like, no, that's Sean Penn. He played that role once. That was part of that part of his career. He did it once and believably. But now he's doing other things. It's like the Bill and Ted movies are great. and, And Keanu Reeves is great in them. 
but it's such a small percentage of the stuff that he's actually done. He did a ton of his own wire foo stunts and fight choreography for The Matrix. And again, talking again about Iron Fist, one of the problems I had with that show is for a show about martial arts, they didn't seem to spend a lot of prep time making sure they could do that in an amazing way. That should have been job one. And you almost need somebody who's been doing uh, martial arts like a, a Jackie Chan or a Donnie Yen their entire life to make a martial arts movie work. Keanu was not a guy who had that. Keanu's a guy who made the, put in the fucking work to get to that level of being amazing, doing a thing that is a skill. Better than anything Tom Cruise or Will Smith or any of these other people who have transitioned into action movies have ever done. Nobody's done anything like The Matrix or John Wick. Because it wasn't just that he was trained as, as an actor and then said, okay, we'll do this with special effects and CGI and some fancy editing. No, he really put in the work for John Wick. And you know what? In fucking speed, he jumped really from a... Uh, from a, a convertible to a moving fucking bus that was going like 50 miles an hour. You know what? That's fucking incredible. And your fucking snort never goes away. It's like you can't <laughs> overcome it. It's like, what does this motherfucker have to do to win your respect? And that's my low point is just that maddening element of how you can't get past that eye roll. Hmm. God, low point. Joe, low point for Keanu? Mike totally stole my low point. (laughs) (laughs) Other people are shit. The common low point on Brady versus the Martians. Yeah, I I mean, I think that, and it comes back to Jonathan Harker for me. Like, people were so hard on him in that movie. And I'm like, you know what? There are far worse fucking performances. I mean, did anybody see The Postman? Nobody's going to convince, like... I was waiting for Kevin Costner to come up. Yeah, right? (laughs) I mean, and Kevin Costner was the, like, bankable star... Of 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 his type, man. Like I, I'm, and there's plenty of Kevin Costner movies I love. I love The Untouchables. I love No Way Out. I, Dances with Wolves is a good movie. A little problematic in this. What about day that age. one where he bones three generations of women and it's a romantic comedy? <laughs> oh God, which one is that? That's um. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, I know the one you're talking about. That was Kevin Costner, right? and I think I think Kevin Costner is very. I think he gets spoken about. You know, people are always like, well, Waterworld. And I'm like, there were bigger problems than Waterworld. Yeah. <laughs> there are much bigger problems than Waterworld. But, yeah, I think people are just – I think it's this um, – and I think you get this attitude in most kind of any, – anywhere that there's fandom, anywhere that there's love for something, you get people that are like, well, I'm, I'm going to be hard on this person just because that's kind of what – the critical idea is, or that's what the commonplace idea is. And if I don't go along with that, then I'm going to be ostracized and nobody's going to respect my opinion. And to you people, I say, fuck you. Keanu Reeves is great. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Get off your fucking high horse and realize that this man is a part of pop culture. They just tried to remake point break, which if I had gone to see the remake, I'm sure. Yeah. They, they, yeah. Yeah, I can't remember remember who they cast in it, but like nobody's seriously, if I had gone to see it, I guarantee you it would be my low point because how are you going to remake that movie now? Yeah. You're not making it with, I think it goes along. Georgetown brewing has a beer called Johnny Utah. Yep. They do. Which is fantastic. (laughs) And every time I have a beer called Bodhisattva also. Yes. And I'm like, there's a reason for that. That isn't just, that isn't just fucking crazy coincidence. Right. (laughs) So yeah, I, I think, I, you know, I've I've embraced it. I used to worry about it and be like, oh, I like Keanu Reeves. And now I'm just like, you know what? Fuck yourself. I like Keanu Reeves. 
I like I like modern Scorsese movies, which is another thing that some film people are like, hey, I didn't make anything good after Raging Bull. And I'm like, fuck you. All right. <laughs> the Aviator is fucking good. Gangs from New York is good. And Keanu Reeves Excellent. is fucking great. Uh, all right. Nice. Okay. Uh, thank you for that, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, what is your low point for Keanu? I, I think we're zeroing in on something here, like a mm. universal truth about Keanu. Um, so you guys brought up a lot of interesting things. For me – like when we were discussing this, like I realized that I didn't really, I I had opinions about Keanu, but I wasn't aware that I had them. Like everything you guys have said about the sneer, it it's in me. You know, I sneered during this conversation when we were talking about Keanu. Hmm. Yet while we're talking about, we talk about Will Smith. We talked about Kevin Costner. Why do those people not get the sneer from me? They deserve it even more. I would say. Um, but for me, I like just ignoring all that nonsense. Like, I don't know why these people are allowed to get away with the amount of shit that they've done and are still heralded as like top level actors. But I don't know for me, Keanu, his, his low point is almost, it's like a trapping of fame. Like we're all talking about him because he's an A-list actor and because he's an A-list actor, he's going to continue putting out like, you know, the lake house and shit like that, that we don't care about. Um, you know, he, he's there to sell us movie tickets. That is his purpose in the Hollywood machine. And as such, we've seen him sort of shoehorned into a variety. Like, these are the, the low points in his career that we've been talking about. The stuff that we just we just miss and we don't care about. Um, I don't know. There's It's like when Keanu is on it and he's really, like, doing his best work, it's just a fun film for me to watch. Whereas... When I see kind of his, uh, I guess you'd call like his baseline work, just the other stuff that's happening, it's I'm measuring Keanu against Keanu, I guess. Hmm. Like I was going through the list and looking at it and I was like, well, let's see here. Like, you know, River's Edge, I had a certain version of Keanu in that, you know, Point Break, I got a little bit edgier Keanu. And as I went through his career, it was like I was adding like a dash of chocolate to my Keanu or like here's a vanilla <laughs> Keanu. And here's like a. Here's a lemon-flavored Keanu, you know, like all through his career. And the thing that tripped me out was when I would get to roles that kind of stood out, but I didn't know they did. Like, for instance, his role in The Watcher. Yeah. Um, Something about that is like oddly off Keanu to me. The way he's speaking, like he's making an effort almost to not be Keanu while being Keanu. <laughs> so I, I don't know. Can it's we like, can we I have a sentence for, where all of the words are Keanu? Buffalo, Buffalo, Being Keanu, 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 Keanu. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead, Brian. <laughs> no worries. I, I totally understand. Uh, I I guess for me is I don't think I'm ever going to see Keanu as one of those actors that I just flat out say is this man is a thespian. He is an actor you know, the top of his craft. And it almost works against, like, I don't care about that because I watch films for the spectacle. Mm-hmm. But I feel like in a way, this sort of baseline acting ability that I've seen from Keanu where I only get Keanu is a limiting factor for him. Mm. Okay. But in the same way, we've seen that in Christopher Walken. And I love Christopher Walken playing Christopher Walken. I like mm-hmm. Samuel L. Jackson playing Samuel L. Jackson. So... I just don't necessarily think it makes you an excellent actor. 
even if it makes you great for being in movies. Okay. Fair enough. I mean, that, yeah. I, I think that's I think that's fair. I think to get to it. Uh, so my but I love the man. Yeah, yeah. Well, my low point isn't that people don't like Keanu or that he's Keanu. I I, I just had one point when you were talking about that. Is there is that ineffable? What like why do we have that? I think it actually just might be that. You just associate him with Ted, and you associate Ted with stoners, and we just don't like stoners as a culture. We think that they're lazy and they're not worth they're not worthwhile. So I think everyone just has a has an idea that he's like the stoner archetype, and that we should constantly uh, be speaking down to people who are stoners. That's that's my take on that. But that is not my low point. My low point is the year two thousand. Uh, not only because that it, we you know the Y two bug didn't uh, destroy the universe, which is I was hoping for, um, <laughs> but I think this is, has three. Uh, there were three Keanu films that year. Mind you, this is the year after Matrix had three of his most inexplicable failures as movies. We just talked about one of them. One of them is The Watcher, where he plays a serial killer. Where I don't, I don't. You give him. He is a character that has no personality whatsoever, um, and that really synergizes well with this problem of Keanu and personality. So he plays a character that is so such a mannequin that I, there's not there's nothing going on in this movie whatsoever. It is it's a waste <laughs> of time. The second is the replacements, which I think Mike you I know you saw this one. The replacements is painful to watch. It is basically the bad news bears for a football team and it's full of just tired, awful, racist jokes. Like the black guy is from prison. Prison. One of the the Japanese linebacker is a sumo wrestler, and he's fat. Ha ha! What a joke. The cheerleaders are all strippers, and of course they they confound the opposing team by doing stripper poses, which make them throw the ball wrong. It's awful. Just uh, like even even Keanu Reeves can't. He has to be the quarterback to pull them all together. But of course he doesn't pull them all together because there's n- nothing for him to nothing for him to work with. And he has Gene Hackman in this movie. Um, and then the third is The Gift, which was a Sam Raimi movie, actually, that had Kate Blanchett, where she's, she's, a, she's like a psychic. Um, and Keanu Reeves has a supporting role where he plays a racist, abusive husband. And it's, he, this is the scariest Keanu role. I've never seen him in a role where he actually you, – you are so fucking afraid every time he's on screen. But the rest of the movie is like for Eason, half the movie, and it's totally forgettable. Oh, is it like Neon Demon scary? Much scarier than Neon Demon. He oh. was so he is so he he's, he's capable of so much violence, and he's so yeah, he's unsettled. Yeah, he's it's very unsettling. But that movie, no one saw it. I didn't see it. I I love Sam Raimi, but and I didn't see that movie. Totally forgettable. He could have just if it weren't for Matrix, he could have dropped off the map in the year two thousand, and we would have never known. And these three movies didn't do him any good favors. So, Ooh. yeah. All right, now let's pull ourselves out of the gutter, shall we? Uh, what's our view from the gutters? We'll pull ourselves out of it. <laughs> That's for you, Joe. Uh, let's go for high point. I want to go back to you, Brian. What's your high point for Keanu? Oh, my high point of his entire career. Um, dear Lord, what is Keanu's high point? I think, you know, like how I had this originally written out, um, I wish I could have just pulled out a moment from his life that I would say, like, this is Keanu at his best. But for me, it's where he is sitting right now everything mm. we've talked about this entire time like he the the deck was stacked against him he should have been ted like i mean i'm looking at his movies and you know it's like he that man is an a-list actor he's got the look he's got it and he also sort of like has my trust in a weird way like i i don't fear what's going to come from him like in my head he is a jean-claude van damme even though he's not just making jcvd movies you know <laughs> he is a steven seagal because we talked about this earlier like you talked about um you know you can't really go see a keanu movie but 
I think in a way you can, but you you add the flavoring in. Like I want to see an action Keanu movie right now, you know. And I th- I think to me that that uh, it conjures up a certain image in my head, and it's gotten to a point that I think he kind of fought through it. And he showed us at the same time that like he can be an auteur, you know, he like he does the documentaries, he did the Hamlet stuff like he said no to lots of money. You know, he did the whole thing with the back points on the Matrix to make sure that the effects crews could keep getting paid. Like he he is the type of artist that is doing it absolutely correct. Hmm. Like he's not he's not blowing smoke up his ass like he still seems to me to be um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Authentic. Yeah, authentic, but humble in a humble. way. Like, did yeah. you guys see the Graham Norton interview where he was talking about a yes. Bill and Ted sequel? Yes. Yeah. He he's still shy talking about Bill and Ted. Like, you could kind of get this sense that like he's a little hesitant about it. But like, I get the vibe that he actually really likes Bill and yeah, Ted. Yeah, but he's he may you be know? shy talking about it, but he he still thinks the idea is good. Like he, the yeah. idea he pitched is still good, and he liked it. So yeah, the fact that it, he was running away from that typecast doesn't mean he didn't have fun doing it and wouldn't do it again. Yeah, mm-hmm. he just doesn't only want to do it. Yeah, yeah. And to me, like it, it just shows that not only is he an actor, and like like you said, like a lot of people associated this like stoner stupidity thing to him, but Homeboy has done his career very, very well. Like. I have nothing but respect for everything Keanu's done, except for Dogstar. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered if Dogstar was going to come up. Okay. I actually made a point to go and listen this time. I haven't heard it for like a decade. Oh, uh, better, better, better that we don't. Maybe we'll end the show with Dogstar. I don't know. Joe, Joe Brady, what was your high point for Keanu? Uh, I went back and forth about this a few times, but I'm going to say John Wick. Yeah. Um, for John Wick to come out of where it did and to do the things it did and to do them as well as it did... I mean, that's I, – I think when you talk about transformations and people coming back into the public eye, you can talk about John Travolta and, like, Pulp Fiction. Sure. You can talk about, um, you know, uh, uh, things things of that nature that it kind of sprang forth from that. And even, like, Christopher Lee and, um, sure. and uh, Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. – you know, I think for for Keanu Reeves to come back and 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 make the quintessential action movie, not just of its time, but like because uh, John John Wick's going to set the standard. It took all the things that the Bourne movies did and did them better. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that it's really influenced a lot. Of, like, I don't think you have Atomic Blonde looking the way it does without John Wick. Of course not. I think um, it's. It's so quintessentially is what it is. And for, for him to come back and reinvent himself yet again as a different kind of action star, right? He's been the brash young hothead. He's been, he's been the like kind of quiet leading drama romance guy. But for him to come in and just play like the boogeyman, it's, it's incredible to him. And it's the perfect role for him mm-hmm. because at no point like – I buy every single thing he's selling in that movie, and that's just an amazing thing to me. It's an amazing thing to me that he came in and he, and, and that movie does everything right, and that he was in that spot because you don't. That, I don't think that movie works with anybody else. No. And you could you could have said exactly yeah. the same thing with The Matrix too. Yeah, right? no, it's so absolutely you were, you were amazed. He was the, he just was the right person at the right time in the right spot. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah, if you step back, like somebody else could have really screwed up both of those movies and made oh. them completely unwatchable. Yeah. Can you yeah. imagine Will Smith in The Matrix? <laughs> I would want to. I would want to punch him in the face even more than I do now. Like, it could probably come with its own original song then. 
Yeah, right? Oh, God. oh, God. Now I'm imagining what that would be like, and it's awful. It is awful. It hurts me in my heart. Uh, okay, well, I'm going to take the next uh, high point, and mine, it could have been what the podcast expected, which was John Wick. Um, but my high point is Johnny Mnemonic. And yeah. it was a box office. It was a box office failure, a disappointment as a Gibson adaptation, William Gibson, which I love. But this was the first movie that I saw where there was a very possible, very sexy version of the cyberpunk future that was realized on screen. Um, and hell, this was even a time when like Hackers was a movie I would get excited to see because I'd be like, finally, our nerds are heroes. You know, this this was in the nineties. This was a time that that but wasn't the case. So when Johnny Mnemonic came along. A fully fledged action film. It's set in this like dystopian future where the hackers were the good guys, the yakuza were the bad guys, where the sprawl was in between us, and like kung fu and computer kung fu were both like the action that was there. I, I totally fell in love with it the first time. And Keanu playing Johnny, the the titular character, um, the amnesiac data courier with a bomb in his head. You know, he wasn't blazing too many trails with that, right? I mean, there wasn't. there's nothing that's incredible about that performance. But as a lead, he carried almost all of the movie's emotional stakes, as meager as they were. Um, but it's funny because after Speed, Keanu could have his pick of anything. He could do anything he wanted to. And his choice of this is fascinating because it's like he's auditioning for The Matrix like three years later. Mm-hmm. It's like he's doing that's his audition tape good. for Neo. Um, it, albeit in a movie that's like muddier and sloppier and far less realized than The Matrix actually is. And... Don't get me wrong. It's a bad movie, I admit. It's so bad that it literally ruined it ruined careers. Um, the director, Joe Longo, never directed a feature film ever again. Mm-hmm. The composer, Brad Fidel, the composer for the Terminator movie, first two Terminator movies, got an Oscar for scoring Terminator. He never scored a movie ever again. Dolph Lundgren, poor Dolph Lundgren, yeah. he wouldn't have he wouldn't have a movie role that was in a that was not a direct to video feature. He did not have a movie where it came out in the theaters until 2010's The Expendables. The Expendables. Fifteen year drought. It's a wonder that Keanu got out of this alive. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> but I mean, I love it unapologetically. It has that grungy future noir aesthetic. It's got that pulsing industrial soundtrack. Um, and psychic dolphins. Yes, it, it does. I mean, it's got that, so, laser yeah, whips. The eccentricities of like these grotesque characters, like I was going to say, the drug addicted dolphin hacker, <laughs> the cybernetic <laughs> Jesus freak hitman, and Henry Rollins playing a doctor. Yeah, that, uh, that's the yes. one career that didn't. Right. So that's why, uh, for me, all those things wrapped into one. Jenny Mnemonic, my high point, and we got to leave it up to you, Mike. What do, what do we got? What do we got for Keanu? Well, my high point is that by all accounts, Keanu Reeves seems to be one of the coolest people on the planet. Oh, yes. That if you just look at the internet, that any cursory glance, you will find stories and articles, both real and apocryphal, that just say what an incredibly kind and generous guy Keanu Reeves is. That uh, this is a guy who, again, you mentioned this before, the pay cuts that he takes for the movies. You know, the replacements is nobody's passion project there's nobody who's like they're desperate to get this on the screen and they will give up anything giving up 90 percent of your money for a junk movie so that they can get another good actor in it that's incredible he doesn't Mm -hmm. have to do that he doesn't have to do any of that stuff but there was one story from a redditor who had a family friend who built movie sets and he stresses not designs movie sets but builds movie sets and they said that uh, they had an encounter with Keanu because he had been building sets on The Matrix. This is not a wealthy guy, so the Redditor said of Keanu that their friend 
quote, worked on the set for The Matrix and Keanu heard about family trouble he was having and gave him a $20,000 Christmas bonus to help him out. He was also one of the only people on the set that genuinely wanted to know people's names, would say hello and mean it, and would talk to people as if they were his peers and not below him just because they were making practically nothing building a set. And then according to the Wall Street Journal, Keanu gave a sizable bet of his back-end money again so that the, the Matrix could get the special effects that it needed. Which, which means paying the salaries of the people who worked on the special effects. Yeah. 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 That he's giving up quite possibly the biggest paycheck of his career, the follow-up to the biggest thing that he had ever been in. This was a hit that basically said that he could basically write his own checks forever. And he said, you know what? Tens of millions of dollars, no, I'm giving this to the movie. And again, this is this is crazy. I mean, this is a guy who I have never heard anyone say anything bad about. And we live in an age where if there's something bad to be said about you, it will get out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is an age where you cannot privately be a complete piece of shit in your private life. Because there are so many venues nowadays <laughs> to share that bastardry for the world that nobody cannot know what kind of person, say, Adam Baldwin or Mel Gibson mm-hmm. or, or Bill Cosby. There's just – you can't stop the signal, man. <laughs> yeah. And there's no way. And all you ever get with Keanu is what an awesome guy he was. There's a, there's a podcast called I Was There Too. Mm. A, yep. Where they interview people who played minor roles Matt in films. Gourley. Matt Gorley is a great host, and he, inter- he did a, an anniversary special for the podcast where he interviewed all of the unnamed passengers in the movie Speed. And to a person, they all talked about what an unbelievably cool guy Keanu Reeves was. That he's not nice to you because he thinks he can get something from you. He's just genuinely given. Yeah, nice guy. And one of the ladies who they interviewed even said that Keanu, on one of the lunch breaks, taught her how to make a rice dish. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) This guy is just so unbelievably kind and decent in an industry where it's almost easier on your career if you're just a callous piece of shit who just thinks of yourself. Yeah. And... God, Keanu, he's just regularly doing the thing to help the movie, the pay cuts he takes. There's millions of dollars that are in somebody else's bank account right now that could have been his. Money that he outright says he doesn't need for anything, and his decisions aren't motivated by it. Mm-hmm. But I think it's really kind of comes down to the one viral video I found of him on YouTube. And that's somebody saw Keanu Reeves riding the subway. And not, not in a limo, and I'm sure he's got, had a number of his own rides in limos, but he's sitting quietly on the subway when a lady with a really heavy-looking gym bag gets on. And without drawing attention to himself, he quietly gestures that she can take his seat. And she does, and he gets up, nobody notices, and he just kind of quietly stands there, not asking for applause, just being a nice fucking guy. Yeah. That's yeah. that's the best thing about Keanu Reeves. That's my high point. No, that's in a, in a world where we're just full of so many bastards and bigots and bullies. This is a genuinely good guy. Oh, Keanu Reeves, we love you, man. Yeah. <laughs> also, Mike just made us all look really superficial. <laughs> yeah, man, I feel like such a jerk. <laughs> no, he is oh. he is the movie star we need. Yep. Yeah, he, he yeah. really is in a in a in a, in a uh, um, profession filled with artifice and. Bullshit and Woody Harrelson doing Rampart AMAs. <laughs> like, I think Keanu Reeves is—he is the 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 superstar we need uh-huh. because he is so like. Just to reflect what you said, it's—I've never heard anybody say 
that he was awful to work with. He always has nice things to say about the people he works with. You know, and the way he bought into the whole sad Keanu thing where he would be like, he thought it was great. You know, it just, it speaks volumes about him. So, yeah, we, we do love you, Keanu, yeah. if you're listening to this. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you. That was a fantastic panel. I want to thank uh, Brian Dijon Filippo. Thanks again, Brian. Thanks for having me again. And of course, Joe Preddy, you're always welcome to come back whenever you want to, especially when you're helping us record this today. Oh, it's my pleasure. <laughs> it's always a pleasure to record with you guys. Thank you. And Mike Gillis, of course, as always. Oh, be excellent to each other. And yeah. I just want to mention for all of our listeners, uh, we're trying to build our own studio. That's why we're here uh, on uh, the kindness of strangers. <laughs> no, the kindness of friends. Um, you can donate uh, on Patreon and PayPal to help us build our own studio. Uh, com. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next month. Radio vs. the Martians is produced by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. Our editor was Mike Gillis. Our theme music was written and performed by Todd Maxfield Matsumoto. Find us online at RadioVersusTheMartians.com and send us your feedback at info at RadioVersusTheMartians.com. I mean, I could sit here and say he's a really nice guy, but the thing that I'm sure most people don't know about Keanu is that he's, I've, I've really developed an, an incredible amount of respect for Keanu because he's so honest. I mean, he's like, there's no BS about Keanu. He doesn't say or do anything to make anybody else happy. He does what he feels is right, and he says what he feels, and he's, he works so incredibly hard. I mean, it's rare that you get a fellow actor who says, you know, is there anything else that I can change for you? Would you like me to do something? What is it that's not working for you? Can I change something? Because, you know, that's incredibly rare. And there's just, there's no BS about him. There's nothing fake. And you, you feel, when I first started being around him, I felt incredibly jaded. And, like, I was, all the bad thoughts that I was thinking, I felt like a horrible human being because he's pretty pretty equal with everybody. I mean, he doesn't seem to think any bad thoughts, so I felt pretty rotten for like the first couple of weeks. And you just get to hang out with him and just, there's an ease. There's an incredible ease that's that's attached to Keanu. And I, I don't know where it comes from. I don't know if it's peace of mind or what it is, but it's, it's so comforting just to be around for long periods of time. And I'm, I, I didn't expect that from him at all. You know, he's Keanu. He's, you know, he has every reason to be stuck up and, you know, have a big head but he's not that way at all he's very he's a really really nice person a really wonderful person and i just i'm it's really nice to be around that for a change you know so it's really a joy